This episode of Three Peeps in a Podcast is sponsored by Weber and Spencer. Contact Weber and Spencer for all of your shutter, blinds and curtain requirements. They are local, friendly, knowledgeable and provide excellent value for money. Mention this podcast to claim your discount. Three Peeps in a Podcast. Hello and welcome to Three Peeps in a Podcast. My name is Patch and with me as always is Rich. Rich, how are you sir? Good evening, Patch. I'm uh, excited to be using my new equipment. Obviously, the, the fans can't see what I'm, but our new microphone setup. But for me, it's my first time, and I'm very excited. Yeah, no, we've got the, we've got the proper microphone arm, the pop filter. It's all it's all singing and dancing now. Uh, I was on Points West earlier talking about uh, D- Dean Holden and the second of him last night, um, and it was it looked very professional with 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 myself and Matt on there with our. It actually looked like we knew what we were doing. Uh, reminds, so. me, reminds me of Live Aid. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so, Rich, obviously, you're a big City fan as well. What were your yep. immediate thoughts and reactions uh, to the news? Well, I think after obviously the last month or so of results, I think last night, I mean, once the once the two goals went in a minute apart from each other, I kind of the writing was on the wall. When it, I think, I think you know, obviously after Saturday, we kind of knew that next this next game against Reading is very, very important of which way Dean's career would go. Um, I like the bloke. To be fair. I, I wished him, same as Lee Johnson, did, did, uh, didn't dislike the bloke as a man, but obviously it's a results game, football, and we can't afford to get relegated. You know, in this day and age of money, TV rights, things like that, you can't afford to get relegated nowadays. So mm. uh, the, the board had to act fast, hopefully faster than the appointment took originally, but it was always going to happen. But yeah, I wish Dean all the best, and I, I can't wait for the new manager to step in and yeah. save us, hopefully. Absolutely. Okay, well, uh, we'll park the football chat there. Um, tonight, uh, we've got a, a special guest on, and this is a guest that uh, came about after a conversation that we had on a previous podcast with Zoe Thompson, who is uh, a well-being and life coach. And one of my recommendations, we, we do a, se- a segment on this podcast, it, it, recommendations. Uh, one of my recommendations a few months ago was The Last Dance. I'm, I'm not massively into basketball, um, but with Bristol sport being such a, a big thing in the city now we've got the bristol flyers as part of that i really want to get into it and i was actually going to a game before lockdown started so i was gutted to not be able to go to that but uh hopefully in in the next few months maybe coming up soon i'll be able to get to a game but um in the last dance obviously it's a story of michael jordan it is massively popular um and, and that has sort of made me want to find out more about basketball and going back to what i said about our chat with zoe zoe actually um had met this this man um and that is daniel adozi who is the bristol flyers captain how are you sir i'm doing well thank you thank you so much for having me on the show yeah it's an absolute pleasure to have you and uh yeah how is it for you playing with no crowds uh, at the moment and how has that changed Oh man, it is so unelectrifying, you know. Um, <laughs> our crowds, and I'm I'm sure you probably feel it as well in football, but the crowds just they they just bring the energy to the atmosphere of the game, and it's like the absence of that has made basketball and sports and any sort of entertainment industry really, um, you know, un- unsatisfying to be a part of. Not saying it's unsatisfying to play the game, but it's like the absence of it is like. 
uh, we need to we need our fans, you know, especially when they chant defense or, you know, you they they screaming, you know, got a good play or you, you do something and you're there, you're letting the fans know I'm right there with you and stuff like that. Um, you know, it just feels like we're playing scrimmages all day. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, before we talk more about the Bristol Flyers, I want to just go back in time a little bit uh, with you, Dan, and talk about you growing up. Where where are you actually? Where are you actually born? Okay, so um, I was born in London, um, and I get this question a lot because people people say that I'm American, or people think that I sound American, which I'm probably sure some of you you, you two probably think the same as well. <laughs> Um, but when I tell them I'm born in London, they're like, oh, no way. <laughs> so, yeah, I was born in London, uh, Greenwich, South South London to be exact, and um, went through a journey of, I, I, I can't even explain to you the journey I kind of went on. Um, and, and to put it in a nutshell, I was born in London and lived in Norbury, Croydon, Twickenham, all those sorts of areas. And my mother and I, we traveled a lot. So we went from... London to America to Nigeria, coming back to London and then moved back and forth a couple of times between England and uh, America. And um, uh, and and then we went to, we moved to America in 2004. And yeah, it was like, we, we have two, fa- well, we have family members in two states, in Texas and, and Florida and New York as well. And we didn't go to any of those places. So it was quite confusing um, as a 12-year-old kid trying to interpret and trying to understand everything that's going on that's out of your control. But obviously you almost feel you feel like you have no power and say. So you just kind of you just gotta go along with the roles. And so uh, we ended up moving to Las Vegas in well, shortly after we landed in America. And bear in mind, we came into America on a on a 30-day, three-month sort of visa. And so, of course, you know, evidently we're meant to leave by then. But instead, we overstayed our visa uh, by quite a few months. And, you know, I, it's a lot to kind of dive into, but I'm just going to give you it in a nutshell. So from 2004 to 2005, uh, we went from... We went from getting into Vegas, you know, after after you know getting in getting in that morning off of a bus trip or whatever, taking a three day bus trip, and then we ended up coming uh, we ended up becoming homeless after a week, nice. and you know just from that just from that experience alone, you know it was it was like a shock. It was like oh like we're not we first of all we don't even know why we're here. You know, we don't, I don't know anybody on this side of the country. It's a completely new environment. And I'm trying to interpret everything that's going on. And then you throw once staying in an apartment for a week to then, and, and, and then after that, becoming homeless and staying in this building filled with other people who are also in the same situation, if not worse. It was a lot to take in all at once, you know? So, um, and, 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 and not only that, like the story even goes a bit more south when, Okay, uh, moved to the shelter, stayed there for a couple of months, and then moving to Los, to Los Angeles, and then experiencing this environment. And I'm sure you pro- you guys might have heard of it. It's called a Skid Row in Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, like my mother and I, we it like we actually lived there, like in terms of like some of the shelters and some of the places that were around the area and whatnot. 
And um, it was quite rough, you know, it was quite rough for, uh, especially like as a young kid trying to understand, you know, what the heck is going on? Like we're finding ourselves in all of these different environment situations and essentially almost feeling like you're having to deal with it alone as well, mm. which also takes a toll, um, you know, it takes a toll on it eventually. And so um, during this time, you know, after leaving from Los Angeles, uh, after leaving from Las Vegas, apologies, um, we stayed in Los Angeles and we was going through, you know, all these different changes and stuff. And then we moved back to Las Vegas and experienced everything all over again, um, from homelessness to sleeping on the streets and then out of different shelters, sleeping in parks, sleeping in sleeping in random areas, you know, in front of churches, two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, then going to school during the time and battling all sorts of like adverse stuff, right? Okay. And um and then, you know, and also plus two, staying in school or at least trying to stay in school with all this madness happening behind me. And then um, shortly, you know, after coming back to Las Vegas for a few months, we end up going back to Los Angeles and experiencing everything all over again, staying in and out of different places. You know, the, you know it's a lot of detail to kind of dive into, but I just give it to you. Go ahead, go ahead. Was, your, was your mother in search of work at this time or what was what was actually the reason for the, the, the flipping and flapping? That's still a question I'm trying to figure out. Okay. Um, moving to moving to America, it was, I mean, my mom says it was just to try and find a better life or okay. try to, try to, I don't know. I don't, she tells me because I was getting taller uh, that <laughs> she was concerned for my height. So right. she wanted to send me to America. I, I generally, I'm still confused. You know, I'm still baffled. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it, honestly, I, th- I think it was just in survival mode, you know, going between back and forth between places mm. you know los angeles um was economically uh unsustainable for our situation in, in fact it wasn't sustainable at all and los, and las vegas was a bit more fair in terms of like uh, um, money and stuff like that uh or for our affordability and then uh but anyway yeah after going back and forth between los angeles and las vegas uh, so we're in Los Angeles at this time, you know, I'm 12 years old and we finally decide to go, oh, make an attempt to go to Florida uh, where we have an aunt staying. And uh, like I said earlier, we've overstayed our visa, mm. you know, over like the time period that we're allowed to stay in America. And for those that, time- that aren't sure about geography, that is, you know, one side of the country to the other. <laughs> oh man oh man if if we stayed on that and the thing is if we stayed on that bus journey it would have took us three and a half days to get there (laughs) but unfortunately we never made it in the end and here's why here's why so after leaving los angeles uh two days go by and we're in texas and there's this small city called el paso uh we we lay over there for a couple of hours and then we get back on the road again. Now, uh, someone had mentioned, you know, you guys have to be caught, uh, have to be careful because you guys traveling around with expired visas, passports, you could get caught by immigration. You know, I heard it, but I didn't exactly know what it was until uh, we came across this immigration port on the road in the middle of a desert. There's absolutely nothing around. Like literally, if you look to your left and your right, it's just, like what you think of as a desert, like just pure sand and just just 
miles of land, you know, like no grass, no nothing. So uh, quite, quite, a, quite a beautiful scene at the time as a kid as well. Mm, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, so, yeah, we, we came across this immigration port and and sitting on the bus, um, I, I, I looked and I was like, you know, you just your heart was pounding, you know, like something's hit you deep inside and you just know this isn't going to turn out. Uh, good. So immigration officers came onto the bus, you know, this, this, I remember them saying something along these lines. Uh, hello, everyone, please make sure you guys have your correct documents. We're going to walk around and check. And if you, yada, 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 yeah, some, some, yeah, whatever. Hmm. But, you know, I, now my mom's like three or four rows in front of me and I'm in the back, like of the bus sort of thing. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, it's just like counting down. It's like a ticking time bomb. Mm-hmm. And uh, they get to my mom and they spend way more time on her than they did on anybody else. And so uh, she looked back, pointed at me and said, yeah, that's my son. And they asked her to get up and then they come to me and ask me to get up. And before we know it, it's just like nothing good is going to come out of this. So get off the bus, grab all of our bags and everything that we mm-hmm. needed. Oh, that was our, that was ours, and then literally, uh, bus driver said everything was good. Officer said everything was good, and just watched watched the bus drive off. And it was like, there goes our opportunity, sort of thing, you know. Mm. And so um, now, just standing here in front of this port with my mom, with these bags, these officers, and a dog, it's just like, well, okay, going inside, sitting in here. Uh, we go inside and it's just like now what? Mm-hmm. And so we go inside, sit inside for like four or five hours. And um, uh, after the four or five hour mark, there's a van that comes, pulls up, uh, gets, uh, picks my mother and I both up and then puts us in the back of this van with uh, other immigrants or other migrants from different places or whatever and it was so it was particularly strange because it was like unexpected like mm-hmm. i was like oh i didn't think we was going to get back to el paso with like like this like we literally felt like we was some criminals essentially you know mm-hmm. and so um get to el paso and uh we stay in this this shelter for four weeks and but within those four weeks we see an immigration officer and uh, we have this meeting with the officer and the officer says, you know, right there, right there in front of our faces that, yeah, you guys have overstayed your visas and, you know, we are going to be deporting you guys back to England or back to wherever it is that you came from. So, you know, as a as t- 12 years old trying to process this, I'm like, none of this I even asked for. Like, I, I, fe- I felt completely completely just defenseless you know like I, I did I had no I didn't know that this is what the journey was going to bring and all this sort all, all this sort of like treacherous like experiences or whatever um but how, one thing how, I, how long was this period from from going to America to coming back so uh we left in we, my mother and I we left in 2004 but I didn't come back until 2015 okay um, but my mom got sent back got because it. of yeah the deportation case but however the question is well why was i in in, in america for so long yeah. um and that came down to being in the foster care system and what led up to that is uh so after being in el paso for four weeks we ended up going back to los angeles california 
And then um, one day, it was after a long night, you know, been on the bus or been on a train all night. And I was just kind of, you know, going along with life and stuff. Um, I met up my mom in a shelter in, in Los Angeles, like downtown Skid Row, on Union Rescue Mission to be exact. And I remember it's like three o'clock in the afternoon and we're walking out. Uh, we're walking out of this uh, shelter and we're walking to where my mom wants to go, somewhere in San Fernando Valley, you know, somewhere off by like Hollywood. And uh, and we're walking past the shelter and I asked my mom, mom, can we go in here and get some food? And she said no. And she kept on walking. So I after she said no, I just came to this this halt. And I was just kind of in this space of making a decision. It's like, do I stay going down this path and following this lead? And I don't mean it in a negative way, but do I stay going down this route or do I go into the shelter, get some food and come out and just kind of go with the flow again? And uh, I chose the latter. Now, I chose the latter uh, because I was just like, as I was standing, I was watching my mom's like action. She just kept moving, kept walking forward, didn't look back, didn't once come back. And I was just kind of, okay, well, I guess I'll just go this way, you know? Um, so now I come out and uh, this is where things just take a turn. So come out of a shelter with a trash bag, 200 gallon trash bag just filled with clothes. Like this is, this is essentially my suitcase, my luggage. And I was walking, walking with that around anywhere I went, you know, everywhere I went. And so anyway, I come out the shelter and I make a right and I make a left down the main street. And what I see next is completely unbelievable. Now to this day, clear as ever. So I get to the corner of that street and uh, I see my mom is on the bus heading to where she wanted to go to, right? So I'm standing there, I'm trying to process everything. I'm trying to, I'm trying to see what, what to do. Should I, should I, should I run after the bus or is my mom going to get off the bus? But instead, here's what happens. So uh, the bus the, down the street, there's like a bus stop. And I look to my left and I watch the bus get to the bus stop. Uh, I see no sign of my mom and the bus just keeps on going, right? So now this is where the true test of character or this kind of humbling sort of experience kind of awoken something within. And in that moment of time, it was like, uh, it, it was faced with making a, a decision. It's either you become a part of, you become a product of the environment and everything that you're surrounded by with people who are on, you know, substances or people who are not in the right mind space and emotional space and anything else that comes along with Skid Row. Or you buckle up and get into survival mode and just essentially find what it is that you're looking for. And, uh, you know, I, I, I essentially, I knew I wanted to get out of there. Like, this isn't a place I want to be in the first place. And so I was just looking for somewhere to sleep. And so I was looking, uh, I walked into three different shelters, but the first two are central because these are a, a this is a testimony of true determination. So both shelters turned me away because I was under the age of 18. And, uh, and, and, and after that second shelter turned me away, it was like, do I keep going? Do I settle for where I'm at? Or do I just, all right, buckle up, keep going? You know, there's, there's that sign of resilience. So there's that test of resilience as well. And gets to the third shelter. And although they wasn't able to help me, 
or wasn't able to help my situation, they essentially just called the police and um, and 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 we went on a search for my mom, couldn't find her, and for well, a couple hours later, we ended up in the police station, and I'm sitting in the police station for four or five hours and time's going by literally only thing i had was just a trash bag i hadn't eaten since this afternoon and you know what i mean it's 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 a all place to find yourself and then uh later on that evening there was this guy that came into the police station and uh and he came over to me and he said hey kid you're gonna come with me and stuff i was like okay you know i was just telling him like what's going on and stuff and like what's happened and essentially uh i got in his car and he said that uh, he's a DCFS worker, and and he said, yeah, they're going to look for a home for me tonight. And I was just kind of like, huh, okay. I was a bit confused because I didn't know how my mom was doing or where she's at. Uh, I was literally solo. Like, I was just mm. solo, and I was just, I was just, I was kind of like this sort of, this lost package in the mail sort of thing, and nobody knew what to do with it. And so, um, and you know, I, I, it's, I, feel, I feel like personally, you know, I always feel inspired to, to tell the story because it's a, te- it's a story of, you know, even when things are, are challenging and adverse and things are ugly and, you know, you, you're, you feel like you're having to, you're going through these experiences by yourself and you're almost ready to crumble. You feel like you're going to crumble. You know, there's always that one voice in your head that says, don't give up, you know, like, or, or stay in it. Or there's something to hold on to that just says, okay, it's better days are going to come eventually. And it was that, it was that moment in time where, you know, with everything that I just experienced and from that day and, and prior to, to that, to that moment and then going forward was just like, I can't believe it. So yeah. Uh, and, and kind of go along a little bit here. Found myself in the foster care system. Uh, stayed in there for six years. Uh, my mom got sent back because she turned herself in trying to get me out of the foster care system. But because of the the great social worker that I was blessed with, and you know, still now to this day, she's amazing. Um, she she essentially fought, uh, found like a attorney to help overturn the case of my deportation order and was able to help me grant, uh, was able to, 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 to help me find the citizenship or the residency and just kind of life took off and took a complete 180. So um, got into sport, uh, started ha- and had a little bit more stability so I could focus a little bit more. Um, got, I was actually playing American football at first, jumped into basketball and then basketball just kind of, because there's this thing about basketball just stuck with me. Uh, played in university for four years uh, after finishing from high school and stuff. And then, yeah, it just, yeah. And then a professional contract to play with Bristol and then managed to get an opportunity to represent England in the Commonwealth Games a couple of years ago. And, you know, now just still building, you know, the story hasn't, hasn't finished. If anything, it's literally that's just a chapter, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's still well, so much more story. to come. Rich, well, I'm, my question is, who's going to play you in the Hollywood film about this? Because this is a this, <laughs> this is a great story. There's got to be a film out there somewhere ready to be written. Oh man, oh man, I love I love it. Would be great if there was a film like that. Because then, but well, who's going to pay me? I I don't know. 
<laughs> well, whatever whatever company would like for me to be the actor, whatever company. Yeah, says, yeah. Would, you play yourself. Um, yeah, you that's play yourself. it. <laughs> um, but so so going back going back to um, your your college university in the states. Obviously, there is a big driver behind sports and uh, particularly American football and basketball out there. Is that where your passion for basketball ultimately came from? The, the fact that you found almost solace in sport? Uh, my passion in basketball, that's actually a really good question. Um, yeah, is my passion, or my, in fact, let me put it like this. I, I became back basketball when I saw... Uh, Kobe Bryant made uh, a, a game-winning shot. It's my first time I've ever seen this, uh, where it was against Phoenix Suns in like the first or second round of the playoffs. The so 20 2008, uh, maybe you guys, too, sorry, not 2008, 2005, 2006 playoff season, one of those two. And uh, yeah, Kobe Bryant had made a fadeaway jump. In fact, it was off a jump ball and Kobe Bryant got it and he dribbled it to like the right elbow and then he shot a fadeaway jumper and it went in on the buzzer and it was like everybody went mad i was like what the heck did i just watch like that's crazy mm. i've never seen that in sport before so um and i was and after that i was just like yeah i want to play basketball you know kobe inspired me in a sense that his well, that, I guess that moment inspired me, but then like his character and him as a player and his mindset and everything just kind of, kind of like follow. You kind of like unconsciously adopt it or you, you take it on. And something you said earlier about your mum taking you to the States because of your height. Mm. Is that something that she was trying to get you down that road into, into basketball? No, I definitely don't think she... It was. It wasn't. She wasn't motivated to do that. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't mean to kind of like disregard it, but yeah, it. It was. Yeah, it wasn't to play sport. We didn't move to America because I was getting told oh, let's move to America to go play sport. Okay. If that makes sense. Okay. Cool. How, how tall? How tall are you now? Just. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Six eight. Okay. Okay. So yeah, Six, obviously yeah. lends itself well to basketball. Rich, question for you. I was gonna. When you first went to America, why did you not go to the the states on the where your families were dotted around? Why, why did you go to the other coast? I honestly don't know. Um, that was a question that you know my mom. And that question, but that was something my mom just didn't consider. You know, um, and before we had went, we had went a couple of times before, but then it, that time was just a bit different. It was a bit. It was like potentially for an adventure, maybe finding something that would i don't know just something different, different yeah. yeah probably opportunity I, I, I can't answer that question and before before yeah. we sort of close the chapter on your family and, and particularly your mum, are you in touch with her now oh yeah yeah of course of course okay. of course when i came back to england in 2015 um that was one of like the very first people that i went to go see um just because i hadn't seen her since 2007 that's when wow. she got deported wow okay so, yeah. um so you you come back to the uk after starting out your basketball journey in the states and where did you how did you make your way to to bristol flyers in terms of of your continuing your basketball journey so i finished uni uh, Iowa State, uh, two years, and 
we had basically uh, just graduated from uni and I was in, a, in, that, in that gap between May and August trying to find out what to do next with my life. And so um, I went, I wanted to play basketball, but I didn't know where. And so, but then also, I also discovered that I had two siblings uh, while I was in uni. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, in England, you know, if opportunity in England comes up, then I'll take it. And so um, by the time it, there wasn't any. So anyway, I was playing, I was, sorry, I was, I was playing in like some different showcases, like different basketball tournaments and stuff. And I played in, I played in one in Las Vegas, which is funny. And um, played in Vegas, oh, not funny, but coincidental. Mm. Uh, played in Vegas. And then I ended up, the, the, the team that I was playing for, the coach knew the head coach of the Bristol Flyers at the time. Wow. And still knows him now. And so, yeah, he was just saying like, oh yeah, there's a club that is, you know, here in England, you know, he's asking me about my passport, he's asking me about my situation. And I was just telling him like, yeah, this is where I've been, this is where I'm at now. Um, and, you know, I have two siblings and just telling my story basically. And he's like, okay, I'm going to get in touch with the head coach of Bristol and stuff. And then the head coach gets in touch with me. And then we start talking and he makes a contract offer. Okay, I'll run it by my agent. My agent isn't too fond on it, but I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. Um, there's a bit more to this contract as opposed to just the money or the club itself. Yeah, you know, we're thinking about basketball career, but I'm also thinking about what's around it as well, you know, in terms of my mom, family, mm. um, different opportunities, meeting different people and stuff. And it's also like home for me as well. So I just considered it and uh, agent wasn't too fond of it. But then I was like, you know what? I'd rather do what's, let me do what's best for me. And I just decided to just go along with Bristol, even though I stepped over my agent's toes. Um, and yeah, the, the contract and the opportunity just attracted, revealed itself really. And I just, you know, just took advantage of it. And what was sort of the thought with your agent to to hang around after playing Iowa State um, and then trying to get into the NBA or sort of the, I don't know if there's a minor leagues of the NBA like there is in, bas in, in baseball, mm. but was that the thought to try and keep you in the States for that? Uh, nah, there wasn't any sort of, there wasn't any sort of a desire. I, I would have rather played basketball in Europe. Because okay. I, you know, yeah, I definitely would. I still would love to play basketball. Yeah. I mean, if and if not, that's fine. Um, but yeah, it was more like going into Europe. You experience culture. You know, you experience diversity. Not, no, well, not that. I want to say diversity, but you experiencing a diverse set of cultures, and you know, that's something that that sticks with you for a long time. As you know, you'd be surprised at how many Americans have not traveled outside of the, outside of the U.S. Yeah. You actually generally would. I think it's like 65% of people uh, don't have a passport or so something, something like that. Yeah, wow. that's huge. Like, that's a huge yeah, that's huge. Out of like, what's the population in America? That's, I can't even tell you. Some a lot. Is it a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> it's, but it's probably bigger in Europe on its own, isn't it? Well, and you and you, you've experienced uh, such a wide range of cultures in in your relatively young life already. So mm. you you've obviously got you know a, a thirst for experiences those different cultures. But you, you found your way you found your way to Bristol, um, and obviously coming from London at a fairly early age. And uh, did you have you had you heard of Bristol? Had you sort of 
you know, ever been slash knew what it was about? And how have you found it? I had no clue what Bristol was before I even came here. Uh, I didn't even know Bristol existed. But, you know, moving moving back from America uh, to Bristol, like, I love it here. Uh, I love it. It's a great place to be. Um, there's fantastic people. You know, there is fantastic people here. Uh, it's a close-knit community. Um, Mayor has good values and good morals and, 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 and has good approaches for, like, the city sort of views. Um, it's a it's very diverse here, culturally diverse. Food is amazing. I think it's I think it was voted number one city uh, in terms of like veganism. Either I don't know. Uh, it's it's been number is where what? It's been number one city for uh, lots of different things over the years. Uh, is it friendliness, uh, kindness, all that sort of stuff? They, they, even oh, it, they even called it a suburb of London at one point because I think a lot of Londoners were moving down to Bristol, so they kind of. Classed it as an unofficial suburb of London at one point, and that's actually funny you mention that because it actually is like a like a, a smaller version of London, just without the the, the tube. You mentioned um, people not traveling from America very often, but um, have you anybody you met in your youth? Have you invited invited them over to watch you play basketball in Bristol? Has anybody been over the over the seas? Uh, I haven't. No, I haven't invited to come watch basketball, but I know just. Very a very small handful a handful that well when I was playing in my youth days and stuff who have actually successfully went on to get a contract in Europe. Um and it's quite small. It's really, really small. Probably like three people that I know of. Yeah. So the Bristol Flyers obviously became part of Bristol Sport. And mm. there is obviously, and I imagine, great excitement at the prospect of the new arena being built on the site of Ashton Gate Stadium. How exciting is that for you as a player, as a captain of the Bristol Flyers, to have that coming down the chain at some point? Yeah, I mean, that's that's good. Yeah, that's great. It's great for the club. It's great for the program. Um, you know, if I'm, still, if I'm still playing basketball and I'm still healthy and everything, it'd be great to, you know, get a, get a sense of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's great that the club is thinking that way because, you know, with basketball and the popularity of the sport growing, I mean, the only thing that's lacking at the moment is facilities. Um, and with the aspirations and the dreams that Bristol Sport have, you know, building that facility is going to be key as to growing the sport and growing the popularity. I think people in England are going to come to Bristol and think, wow, this is mad. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, I've seen like the, the video, like the interior of it, the design and stuff. They're having a, it keeps the thing is it keeps getting delayed. It keeps getting delayed because of um, they're having to change certain things, or they're having to restructure certain things, or they're having to consider things. So, um, yeah, I, I, whenever whenever they get it done, whenever mm. they get it done, hopefully, if I'm still playing basketball, it'd be great. But if not, then it is what it is, really. It'd be exciting, exciting. <laughs> um, and in terms of basketball in the UK. Is it televised? Is that the next step to get it more mainstream? It's it's working on getting uh, televised. I've well, we have a, a, a Sky Sky deal, Sky Sports deal at the moment. Well, I guess a deal or some sort of uh, some sort of like running promotion or whatever. So, um, I think it's thirty games in the BBO are televised. You know, and okay. they can be random games. You know from one day could be this team and that team and you know you know how it goes so um which is good because 
there's been a couple of games that have been televised and they look official. They look they look official. The um this camera setup and everything looks official. It looks like it's oh, it'll be it'll be fantastic because then it helped to uh increase recognition and also improve the quality of the of the of the of the game and the understanding. Because what I find interesting is that the cameras a lot of it is also to do with the cameras, you know, and the cat if the camera if the camera quality isn't all that good and the streaming service isn't that good as well, mm-hmm. then you're not really helping people see the picture. Yeah, if that I, makes yeah. sense. I find that I find that with all sports already. Yeah, if you get a, do- a dodgy uh picture or a dodgy pitch, you just it kind of picks you off watching it because it just it just looks too awkward. Yeah, it does. It does. And and then you disconnect from yeah. it and you're just like, yeah, I don't want to watch it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's an interesting one. Obviously, we're watching uh, Robin's TV for the Bristol City games at the moment. And, you know, it's not high definition. Um, mm. You know, it, you, you can't experience the full game because you can't watch where everyone is on the pitch. But it's better than nothing at the end of the day. It's something that is, it's still live sport. It's still something we can enjoy in inverted commas. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it, it is great. And as soon as we, we're able, I, I'm really keen to get to get down and, and watch the Bristol Flyers and, and get behind you. Um, let's talk about you. So you, we spoke at the start how we met Zoe Thompson, who is a, a, a well-being and, and life coach. And you said that's something that you're looking to get into. You you have some, um, you know, some you're looking at to do some skills and coaching and things like that. Tell us about that. Is that something that you're sort of putting in place for yourself further down the line or stuff you're doing now? Yeah, a mix of both, actually. So I just completed my master's in sports and exercise psychology. So um, I can actually call myself a mental skills coach, which is cool. You know, it's just I, I enjoy that. It's, it's something that to be proud of and the achievement and stuff. Um, and so a lot of the stuff that I do, I'm, I'm, I'm about mindfulness and about taking the energy from our spirit or from our being and being able to place it in certain aspects of our lives. Or if it's that one thing, put it in that one thing, but if it's in different things to kind of get in harmony, then it's in different things. Get it, it, I mean, it's so much talk around it. It, it would require another sort of conversation. Um, but yeah, I'm about that sort of stuff. So I, a lot of a lot of the work that I do in terms of like mindfulness or is is implemented in like my coaching, mentoring, or I find a way to implement it in coaching, mentoring, or working with young people, um, any even in public speaking. Uh, and and just try to be in the moment of what I do uh, and also know that intuitively like you like you we're, we're make it we're feeling or we're delivering the impact if that makes sense yeah um so yeah and and also like it's, yeah like you say it's just setting a set well, personally after the setting up life after sport and trying to you know, get that sort of momentum there. So at least when for when sport is finished, then you have something to kind of fall back on. And and the, with, the, with the choice of the mental skills and coaching, has that come about in part due to the the life that you had growing up and the fact you want to help people that were going through similar things to what you went through, or is it more general? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's a mix. It's a mix of both between general, uh, but however. Uh, a lot of experiences, uh, I take some of the vital lessons that I've learned and I kind of put it in ways where it makes it 
digestible for whoever is in front of me sort of thing. So whether that's a young people going through experiences of being a foster care or, or if it's a young person experiencing moments of self-doubt and they feeling like they ready to give up and they get they can't get over their breakthrough or they finding life tough, you know, then there's that sort of moral, um, not obligation, but there's that moral take that you just have on or you give on, you, you give to the other person to help them overcome their struggles mm. and their battles with adversities. And who who is who is your audience for this? Is it is it a mixture of schools, colleges, individuals, corporate? Uh, right now, it, it's it's all in schools, you know, all in, like young people uh, for now. Um, and it's quite interesting you mentioned like corporate because gotta understand how can I deliver what I'm doing but doing it in a corporate setting, because I can imagine there's probably a language in the way you present something is going to be completely different, um, which is something that I will have to learn. You know, there's this, uh, there's this video I was watching of Eric Thomas, and he was explaining how you can, you know, he, was, he, he, had, a, he had a ring of keys, right? Uh, he had a house key, door key, car key, you know, all those keys, whatever. And he was saying, the problem with some of us in life is we use this one key and we try to use it for everything. You know, we try to use the door key uh, for the car. We try to use the door key to, I don't know, open up something and and the key doesn't fit. (laughs) So it's like taking on that principle that, okay, whatever you do is going to require a different side of you because not one size fits all, not one way uh, or approach fits all so it's just finding that multitude of different um dimensions yeah i mean there's there's a a big call for for mental health well-being coaches and 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 diversity and inclusion is a massive thing at the moment in the corporate world so i think there's a real opportunity for someone like you to to come in talk about some of the experiences you've had in life and and how you mentioned it earlier and a lot of people have been going through this in the last year of of finding that grass that green shoot in the current situation which is what you did as a child growing up in the states a hundred percent and you're saying like people are trying to figure out how can they make the best of everything that's going on in this very fine moment without feeling like they are ready to give up or ready to give in and, and quit and you know it's tough you know with this with these lockdowns and feeling like we are being put in this sort of box like it's it's making a lot of us go crazy or making making a lot of us feel not sane and i don't don't mean go crazy as in like because i you know let me readdress that because it doesn't sound um correct but what i mean is is it when i mean with the lockdowns and everything it's making this kind of you know, put us in this this seat of discomfort and we're trying to find ways as to how to deal with it. And a lot of us, we don't have that sort of, we don't have enough uh, comfort within the space of ourselves to deal with these things. And therefore we feel like we're doing, we're dealing with them alone. Mm. Um, but again, like how, how do we deal with it is, you know, and I, I can't say, because I, I, I'm still trying to learn. So I, I personally... Personally, it comes down to our own instability 
and but then every, not everyone's stability is there so and it's not their fault that stability within them is, is stable because you know it's certain things that have contributing factors um but for the rest of us you know they we for the rest of us that have sound minds and have sound emotions and we're grounded enough we should be able to deal with this um in 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 the best positive way that we can yes okay it's 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 uncomfortable it's not it's it's making us change ways or it's making us change thoughts or it's making us having to do things differently but equally in life life doesn't stay like that life is continuously changing things are are evolving or things are uh, are being recycled and stuff like that so um you know sometimes we just kind of need to ad- learn how to adapt that principle that you know we got to get used to change if what's the worst that comes out of change i think mm-hmm. i think what i'm finding difficult at the minute is having two young children is they're kind of looking to me as the answers they're obviously going through lock, um, not going to school not socializing they're kind of looking at me as in to guide them through this time but i'm actually struggling not struggling uh, mentally but the first lockdown was a bit of a novelty but this third one i'm finding it difficult now to mm. kind of get myself not just finishing work and going out to bed kind of mm. still, it's difficult obviously it's harder with, with dark evenings at the minute but having two children to look at you for guidance is quite difficult being that person who's trying to guide your children but also needing guidance yourself so. well yes it's not something that we've we've been through uh, ourselves before so we're all we literally are all going through this together because yeah. it's uh it is a very strange strange time but you feel um, like you should have the answers but i haven't got them <laughs> and and that's that that the, what you guys just said are valuable points you know um and like you said uh patch that we don't have Wait, this is something completely new, so we don't have the necessary information as to how to deal with these things. So it's almost like, as we're in the, as we're in this experience, we're just learning as we go, but we don't know what's to come, you know, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So if tomorrow comes and a whole new situation happens, we're like, I, I don't know what to do. So we get stuck in this kind of this this state of shock, and you know, our mind freezes, emotions freeze, and now we don't have the ability to really think clearly um and you know it was just tough and to say uh what the solution is you know that the best solution i can give is you know we're gonna make it we're gonna do this eventually together it's like we can kind of sense that the finish line is coming at some point or at least something will be taken out of place because we we all feel like we're just scrunched in like we're just and we can't, which we like, we can't get out, sort of thing. But at the same time, it's like it's embracing. Okay, fine, we're scrunched in. You know what? Make the best of the little little bit that you do have, and whether that's your kids in front of you, you know, and 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 they're looking for some sort of hope because they probably don't have hope. So they want to know that. Oh, do you believe, you know, Daddy, that everything's going to be okay? Are we going to get out of this eventually? You know, those are the kind of words that kids will want to hear, especially when they don't even know what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and just being being there for them, like emotionally, mentally, and even, you know, going outside in the backyard, and I'm sure that's what you're doing now, like going outside and playing a little bit of sport with them or 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 or, 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 or playing a little bit of like tags, uh, tag games or, and yeah, stuff like that. I'm, I can't I'm wait until sure. next month. I can't wait until, um, I can't wait until spring. <laughs> 
Can't wait to spray. Yeah, you, you just get you, you just get yourself uh, all all um, queued up, ready to go out and play tag, Rich, and then it starts raining. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh man. So then you're really stuck inside. So, <laughs> so, so well, I've got a sporting related question for you that has just come to my head. Uh, you, you being a captain of a team, what for you makes a good captain? Oh, this is actually a really good question. Well, I'll give it three things. Uh, one thing is just having a holistic view. Okay. Um, makes a good captain and effectively a good leader as well. You know, you understand that the person, uh, the, the, the player, yeah, you have to play, but behind that player, there's a human as well. And, you know, you have to learn how to connect with that human in order to get the best out of them. And just, and not just that human, but connect with everybody around you. And does it, does, is everybody going to reciprocate that back? Probably not, but as long as you can, find a sense of common ground between interests that uh, you have and they have, then, you know, relationships should be okay. Um, that's one. Two is uh, there's a style of like leadership um, and leadership. The thing is, what I've learned is that leadership, you don't always need to be the voice all the time. You don't always need to be the one that says something. You don't always need to be the one that shows the way. Sometimes leadership, you have to learn how to surrender leadership because there may be a voice from someone else and someone else might, you know, there might be other guys on the team that might pick up on that voice. So it's kind of like, okay, let's, let's, let's follow that lead. Or if that's your idea, like, let's go off of that sort of thing. Um, because I think the stigma with, like, captain is that oh yeah they're the heads of the team like yeah they may be the head of the team but that doesn't mean they know everything like i'm i'm generally still trying to learn i'm still trying to embrace captain zero um when i say i got better yeah of course you know um but am i perfect no of course not so that's that's uh that's 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 one thing that's another thing to consider and then the last one um for captain c what makes a good captain the captain is just effort, effort, hard work, and work ethic. I think, you know, a captain can't preach, play hard, but then he's not playing himself, playing hard himself. No, that, that, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, um, I asked this question to, to Brian Tinian last night on the bonus show, and he said that more in more recent times, a more modern captain is someone that leads by example versus an old school captain who would basically shout and bark orders the whole time. Mm, mm. And see that and the funny thing is when you say that, it's like, we've all evolved. We've all matured. We are being a bit more, we're being a bit more sensible to different styles of approaches. And, and honestly, uh, that kind of leadership style, not everybody's going to follow, you know? So therefore you're, you're listening to a captain who's giving you orders, but then if it feels like you're, it feels like an authoritarian sort of environment or sort of culture or sort of person that you're dealing with someone telling you what to do, uh, but then they're not, they're not doing what, what they're telling you what to do. You know, it's kind of like a bit contradictory. Yeah. It, um, it puts the shackles on them not to play their own game, I guess. <laughs> exactly. I guess exactly. Get yeah. some captain that you know, goes to their head a little bit, couldn't you? And the ones that are a bit shouty. I can't imagine they're the ones who like a bit of power. 
Like, yeah, but then the thing is, you have to know when to use that power. You know, you can't use that power all yeah, the that's, time. That's like, right, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think yeah, the yeah. captain might go to some people's heads and they just think they have to. Yeah, 100%. Like, if I was to play for a team where the captain was like, yeah, you're just up here all the time, but he, but, but, but with the connection of the team, he's not there. It, you're not going to get, you're not going to be affected that way. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those sort of things. And I've, I've learned from Greg Street as well, who's also a former Bristol Flyers and is essentially Mr. Bristol, but his sort of captain's captaincy leadership style was quite friendly, quite, um, quite uh, easygoing and just, you know, support him there whenever you kind of needed something uh, to, 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 when, you, when he, he's, he's, he always knew the right things to say in the right time. And it's like, okay, got you. And that's it. We just move forward. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, and then he was also always in the trenches. Like he would play hard. He would defend. He would need to play stuff like that. That's what you want a captain to do. Someone who's like in the trench fighting with you, just mm. as much as he's also trying to lead and trying to do things by example. I think the first point you made uh, about adapt, ad- adapting your style um, for individuals, I-, I think that is a real skill um, and something that people in all walks of life, particularly in business, adapting your your what stakeholder management approach for different types of people. Everyone wants to hear something slightly different. So knowing your team and knowing them inside out and adapting your style to, to, to their needs. I think that's a great, a great one. Mm, mm, that is true. That is very true. And the secret behind knowing how to do that is just simply applying recognition, recognizing, okay, this person's like this, that person's like that, but those two together are like this. Okay, that makes sense. And then you just kind of do it around the room and do it with each in each individual. And you kind of like unconsciously find a way to bring it together, you know, through something that we all share in common. Once you do that, mm. it's the most beautiful thing ever. Absolutely. Uh one one final question from me, and then I'll let Rich uh, come up with a with another one. Um What's a day look like for you at the moment? Where are we in the season in terms of Bristol Flyers? How often do you train? What's what's the standard day for Dan? Okay, so currently right now, um, we are in a two-week gap where well, we have light training and stuff, but it's the international window for international competitions. So we don't have a game for, well, we don't have a game till next weekend. So it's quite easy at the moment. But... Uh, prior to that, we'll have Monday training, Tuesday training, Wednesday training, Thursday training, Friday, Friday training, Friday training or either a game. And then uh, we'll have, well, if we have Friday and Sunday as, as either one of those three game days, if not two of them. Um, But the last couple of weeks has been a bit manic because we've had we've had a game on Friday we've had a game on Sunday we've had a game on Tuesday and then we had another game on like Friday and then another game on Sunday sort of thing so it's been a bit hectic in that regard but then that's that's due to um like rescheduling of games and stuff due to COVID and, and whatnot uh so yeah but these these next 
So, but these next two months after next weekend is going to be the most hectic. I probably the most hectic basketball I've ever played. It's about to be uh, 17 games in two months. <laughs> so, right. we're going to be playing two games a week, a week essentially. And have you got a big enough squad to sort of deal with that in terms of rotation and injury and things like that? Yeah, that's something we're going to have to talk about next week with <laughs> with managing guys' minutes. And right. essentially, because you don't want you don't want to play guys for you don't want to play overplay guys, and then when the playoffs come, we don't have any energy. We don't yeah. have any gas or nothing like that. So um yeah, that's something that we'll I'm sure coach will be mindful of mm. you know, moving well, forward. Pat, but yeah, Pat George six yeah. foot five, you could uh, step in, can you? Yeah, 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 it'd be fine. I've got a, I've got um, a basketball net right outside this uh, okay this 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 wall, but it's uh, set for the kids at sort of six foot, so I can I can pretty much slam dunk that no problem. Mm, okay, okay, we we have to we have to check you out on a ten foot rim. <laughs> yeah, get me a trampette. I guess I guess, I guess we I guess we've seen them training, haven't we, Patch? Because we play football out there, don't we? We play football at the Wise uh, campus, so you must have seen you training oh. now and again. Yeah, the, yeah. Oh, have you? Court. Okay, okay, okay. Well, are you talking about on the uh, actual turf, like yeah, on the right of yeah. college or on the left, where by the turf in, field, like... in goals, the opposite, recep- opposite the reception, really, the five side pitches. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I might have. Yeah, that's have, actually. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll pop in. It's... I'll pop in soon and see you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll we'll have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and and hear more about your story, your life, as Rich intimated earlier on. Uh, I, I think there's a film somewhere in there. So start writing the script and get it ready to send yeah, off. Get the screenplay. Okay. Okay. You know what? I'm going to have to ask you guys for some help, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's Rich. Rich is well, your idea. Well, plus I, I've been in Casualty in Merlin. I've been. In, I've been. A- <laughs> I've been an extra now and again. So. Yeah, you can be an extra in that. You can be, extra. maybe you can, you can drive the bus, Rich, in the states. Oh yeah, could be. Yeah, could be that. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Or fly the plane, maybe. <laughs> so Dan, with your um, obviously being captain and your uh, mental coach and life coach, is management going to be on the horizon? Is that something you're interested in when you uh, hang up your converses? You know what? At this point in time, I'm actually open for anything you know uh, later on down the line um you know just finding those different sorts of experiences so if management becomes one then hey yeah of course i'm with it i'm happy to be a part of it and see what uh what it may pre- bring or what opportunities may come with that so yeah will you be a suit wearing manager or a coach or a tracksuit <laughs> a tracksuit track track one no i'll be um no i have to be a tracksuit one yeah, yeah that's cool yeah i feel like i feel like i'm a part of the game being that way <laughs> if people want to get in touch with you dan have you got a website i think you've got a website that people can look up your some of your mental skills and coaching uh offerings yes i do have a website and uh it's still in the workings of it um so yeah the website's called dannydozy.com you know it's quite simple mm-hmm. um and yeah you find uh more bits about me on there Excellent. Well, as I said, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, we will watch the next few years of the Bristol Flyers with with more interest now that we've met you and had a chat to you and appreciate your, your journey you've been on. So thank you very much for coming on. Oh, no worries. Thank you so much for having me Sounds on here. Brilliant. That was brilliant. Take no care. Worries. Thanks for listening, Take everybody. Care. Take care. Bye-bye. White walls, the feeling of home, warm smile.
passion burns. 